Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Blog Talk Radio. I'm John Hansen, and joining me is OI, which is an expression of interest. And quite frankly, the the the, the whirlwind that surrounded this of, of people saying, well, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't sent out for RFP. It wasn't tender. Taxpayers are getting ripped off. We're at uh, epidemic proportions in the use of VOIs, all of these things. Of course, we wanted to peel back behind the headline because what we're really talking about, and Kelly, we're talking about a single source versus a sole source. And by the way, I, I'm amazed at how many people actually confuse the single source and sole source definition. I mean, like they are different. They are. I think in a lot of cases, people aren't concerned about the differences because they don't get used all that often. Well, you see, this is an interesting thing. Single source, by the way, is when you have a variety of suppliers available where there's no shortage of suppliers, but you decide to use only one of them with justifiable reasons. Sole source means you have no choice but one supplier. I mean, one thing that comes to mind is, is the University of North Carolina a few years ago and the transportation of coal by rail. And one of the senior people there was bemoaning the fact that because they had no alternative but to bring it in by rail, uh, the supplier is really sticking it to them. Although on the other side of the coin, as I would write, and that was in that post, Kelly, are women better negotiators than men? Remember that one? That really stirred Yes, I do. <laughs> See, you're a troublemaker. You, you, that was your post, wasn't it? It was either mine or it was in response to something you teed me up with. Uh, either way, I I'll accept part of the blame. Yeah, okay. But yeah, basically, this individual, I felt, got what he deserved because of his negotiation tactics with suppliers who were in a vulnerable position. I guess what goes around comes around. But the whole idea of all of this, is that, that, again, the belief, there is this unwavering belief that the only, the best result is through an RFP that loves all and serves all. And ignoring the fact of a few years ago, uh, talking with Judy Bratt and uh, uh, the, uh, the senior aide to Governor Cuomo in New York, who, who said that 95% of all contract winners are decided before the RFP is issued. Judy softened that or, or, uh, a bit by saying, uh, I'll say is that they are determined because they've done the work. In other words, if you're just getting the RFP and that's your first point of notification through one of these electronic platforms, you've already lost. Don't even bother. So what is this? Why are people 
under the belief, first and foremost, that the only way to get best value is through an RFP process. If, in fact, it's true that, you know, for the most part, the legwork is done before an RFP is issued and the winner is already decided anyway. Why is this just the is this just an illusion that people have bought into and, and, and continue to hold on to? And let me add a second question to that. When the determination is made in advance that price or cost will not be the primary determining factor in who wins the contract, why does that all of a sudden mean you're sort of freed up from needing to have any kind of competitive bid process? Okay. Okay. Now that's an interesting point because that ties into the hydro deal. They use an expression of interest to narrow down the field, and they went from six potential spiders. It was an engineering contract for services. Now I should provide the details here. It's a six to seven year agreement. I call it an agreement. I'm not even sure it's a contract, but I guess it is, in which they're not locked into using the service. They can cancel at any time, and there's no minimum requirements. But they went there, narrowed it down to two, and decided if we do an RFP between the two, what's the point? It's just going to take time and cycles. We'll just go with the one who looked best on the EOI. And, and nobody's challenged it in terms of the suppliers, uh, although the suppliers who were involved, and, and this is a rather specialized area, already have business with Hydro, so maybe they didn't want to rock the boat. Some might contend. But like their reasoning for it is, is if there's only two players, and we're looking at this and we're saying this one looks better than this. Why go through the expense? Is that full of crap? <laughs> Sorry to be blunt. <laughs> no, I, you know, I think that it's, it's a frustrating case because with some of the decisions that were made, you could say, okay, I see taking this approach. Maybe it's non-traditional, but a lot of people within procurement are calling for non-traditional approaches. But it's difficult to justify some of the the choices that were made. So, for instance, okay, they've made the decision that they're going to go ahead and work with one supplier and they're going to do an expression of intent rather than an RFP. The contract is a or agreement is a different kind of uh, arrangement between the two partners because it's not a requirement for them to, to meet a certain spending threshold. And yet, for competitive reasons, quote, unquote, they won't disclose all of why they went down the road that they did. So you have this very non-traditional situation involving the public sector, which typically requires additional transparency than you would have in the private sector. You've got people so close. Okay, you've done something non-traditional. You saw value here beyond straight price explain to us how you got to this point, and they won't provide the additional information. Okay, now this is an interesting point. Now, I'm going to start because that was one of the contentions that you had. Uh, Colin Cram, who we all know, spent 30-plus years uh, with the public sector in the U.K., uh, said this, and I quote, the single-source decision may have been the correct one. However, the response quoted from Antwerp Hydro doesn't tell as much as I would uh, as I would. Uh, have thought I would have liked more from them, he said, to, to allay press and possibly poli political criticism. He then said, as Kelly stated, the sporting facts need to be shared. If everything was done properly and the correct decision reached, that should not be a problem and should put an end to any controversy. Uh, one of the things that Hydro said is, is that for competitive reasons, we can't divulge uh, uh, all the details as to why we selected them. Is that a smokescreen? 
or is there legitimacy in that? We can't make the determination based on the information that we have. At least from my own reading, I don't know what competitive reasons means. Okay, so is it, 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 okay? So what you're saying is that if there were competitive, like in D and D contracts, Department of Defense contracts, uh, where there is uh, highly classified information, and I did some research on this, uh, it is not unusual to hold back some of the reasoning behind. Why? Because you're protecting, you know, uh, patented information or things along that lines. Uh, so it, it's not unusual. However, in this instance, for engineering uh, services, they're, they're, they're talking about hiring people to fill the gap, although they're going to use their own internal people wherever possible. They're talking about filling the gap with bringing in these outside. Like it, 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 it's, it's an outsource or it's, a, it, it's hiring people to come in for a number of special projects one might suspect that, well, that doesn't sort of fall into the defense type of category. Uh, so why can't they tell us? And even if there is a legitimate reason, uh, it, it, the fact that it causes so much uh, uh, kerfuffle, I mean, that's a word, right? Kerfuffle. It causes so much controversy, you might as well come forward and say it. And this way it puts it all to bed. I mean, so are they caught between a rock and a hard place that by divulging all the information – uh, that somehow there's going to be trade secrets that are going to leak out, or or or, or is this just uh, you know uh, cronyism of where you know we like these guys we're dealing with them, uh, you know, and we're going to use that to hide behind there. I mean, have they really put themselves in this position to be subjected to the increased scrutiny? It certainly looks like it to me. I mean, typically in the case of trying to increase transparency, especially when the public sector is involved. Usually sharing information isn't an all or nothing. I mean, sometimes you end up with something that's sort of a very ugly, redacted-looking version of a document. So that's not to say that if you can't share every single detail, you shouldn't share anything. It feels like more of an explanation could have been provided here without exposing some of the critical details that they felt it was necessary to keep private. All right, so let's look at this then, maybe on a broader picture. And, and by the way, uh, there was, uh, some people are, are less uh, genteel. Uh, someone who I respect, Dave Henschel, uh, who has a group of 16,000 members on LinkedIn called Purchasing Practice, uh, said this, I doubt that placing an $85 million contract to a single source without leveraging the contract competition would survive any best practice audit. audit. Hydro's response fails to justify their decision on all counts. The process applied cannot be described as rigorous or robust by any definition. He then goes on to say, one, they have failed to ensure a competitive market even though one exists. Tetra is competitors, the winning supplier for engineering consulting services. An average negotiator is likely to gain better terms by negotiating with multiple suppliers than a highly skilled negotiator negotiating with only one supplier. The absence of competition will mean higher cost, worse terms, less innovation, and poor outcomes. Generally speaking, would you agree with all of that? I especially would agree in the with all of that. Of the fact that would... the contract, sorry, especially in the, in, in the context of the contract can be canceled at any time without penalty. And that's exactly what I was going to say. I would go, I would agree with what Dave has said, and I would take it a step further. The fact that no commitment has been made, no firm spending commitment has been made, to the supplier, and that they're not contractually required to do so, as you made a point, they are significantly behind where they thought they were going to be 
if you look at the situation, even from the supplier perspective, this can't be going the way they would have wanted it to go either. I'm sure they had to incur some internal costs to prepare to take on this business to fulfill the requirements of the agreement. And the spending has fallen way behind. So I fail to see how this is really a win for anybody. It's not a situation where the the requirements of the contract were aggressively high and the cost was aggressively low and the two parties were going to have to really work together to make it happen. The spend isn't there. The work's not getting done. And so it would seem that neither party is really getting what they would have wanted out of this agreement. Well, but here's the thing. One thing Hydro said is is that they're going to try to leverage their own internal resources, but they have two projects, and they're using these ones as a stopgap resource. Or, or as they clearly said, look, we're not obligated to spend anything, uh, but only when we need it, and that's at our discretion versus being forced into a minimum spend for the contract. And what Hydro had indicated is, is that our mandate, and we made this very clear from the beginning, is to utilize our resources internally first because there are resources and only call upon this when we need to, to augment what we have and for whatever period of time. So it, it, from, from the Hydro standpoint, I don't think it's a bad arrangement because there is no spend commitment. There's no minimum commitment. They can cancel the contract at any time. Uh, without penalty, I mean that. I think that's a win for Hydro more than it is for, and maybe that's part of the reason why it only came down to two potential sources. I mean, it's highly specialized what they're looking for in engineering services. But if I'm a supplier, and I'm going to play devil's advocate on the side of the supplier, I'm not going to respond to an RFP where I don't have a, a guaranteed contract or where I uh, I don't know what money I'm going to make. Right? I mean, I, I I mean I need to be able to have some sense that there's going to be a payout here. The, the hydro contract so far, two years into it, has only spent three to five million dollars. So the eighty-five million dollar headline grabbing number, you know, they're far from it. They, they probably will never even get close to that. But if I'm a supplier, uh, I mean, why would I enter into this agreement? Why would I even respond I think to an it's RFP? A fair question. Is that part of the reason why? I mean, is that a fair question? I think it's absolutely a fair question. And I think the only piece of information, and you may know the answer to this, is that if the full details behind the decision-making process could not be exposed for competitive reasons, does that imply that potentially confidential information needed to be shared with Tetra in order for them to be the ones that got this deal? So in other words, was private or sensitive or confidential information shared with a supplier by Hydro because they might potentially need help? I guess I question if you can't explain to constituents why you made the decision that you did, if you don't desperately need the supplier, why would you potentially bring them into the situation? Well, I mean, it's, it, uh, see, that's an interesting point. You know, why? See, but I, I'm looking at it from this standpoint, supplier standpoint, just the supplier side of the equation. Is it possible that there was an element of coercion in there because they do other business with Hydro? Is the other suppliers who didn't raise this thing, is it because maybe they're looking at it saying, well, hey, we don't want to risk the business we have because a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush? And that is a saying. Um, so, you know, like the terms of the negotiation, I mean, is, is it that this supplier took on this task 
because they have other business they're doing with hydro and this happens to be the the runt of the litter that well we got to accept you know you know uh, the good with the bad kind of scenario do you know what i mean i do know what you mean and and i think it's fair to assume or speculate that there may be other things either past present or future associated with them agreeing to take on this deal um but it doesn't seem clear exactly what their task is. If they're serving in a stopgap capacity, then what is it necessarily that they're supposed to be trying to achieve? How, if they are so dependent on hydro to come to them and, and dictate whatever their stopgap role happens to be under the, the specific circumstances at hand, how are they to even demonstrate that they successfully held up their end of the deal? Well, okay. So is, is this is it is it okay? So is this because again, and I and I I don't know how you can even call it a contract. And correct me if I'm wrong. Um, is is it possible that if you don't have any minimum span, you can cancel anytime? You can do all the things that I talked about before. I mean, it's more of an arrangement. It, I mean, it, it's it's like you're you're agreeing to use their services, but you know you may not use their services. It, it, it's like this is what is a bit. Uh, confusing. I mean, is that the convenience factor of going with it with with an expression of interest as opposed to an RFP? Because it, let's let me ask you this question: If you put an RFP for bid and you get the business, do you have the same latitude within an RFP award to be able to say we can cancel at any time without penalty, and we're not committing to any dollar amount? Well, I think this is where we come back to a conversation that you and I had previously about. In important deals, it doesn't make any sense to go through the RFP process without simultaneously going through the contract negotiation because exactly what is being agreed to and what is being committed to by both parties should have an influence on what prices are being submitted in the RFP. And so you can't go through it in isolation and then negotiate the contract. The two need to be done in parallel. Okay, 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 but yeah, but you see again, I, and I'm not sure if that answers my question. Is that if you know, would you go through like an RFP process is costly? It takes time. You go through it. Where an EOI expression of interest is really designed to filter out who would be there. And if it only comes down to two people, if you do an RFP, are you locked into making a commitment to dollars that you would not otherwise be forced to do under an EOI? I mean, like, you know, you, you've got to negotiate something to have a contract. You do, but companies run RFPs all the time and then don't award any contract. Yeah, but that's a well, big waste. I don't think waste, an RFP commits it? you. I know, but isn't, isn't that a big waste? Doesn't that waste everyone's time? Like, I remember yeah, standing I mean, up in front of two. Yeah, something previously unknown is uncovered in the RFP process. Absolutely, it's a waste of time. Okay. I stood in front of 200 senior execs from the automotive supplier side way back in 2005, talking about reverse options. And by the way, and I, we've talked about this before, they never told me that this was an unpopular subject and that there would be pitchforks and torches, uh, else I might have you know, made other plans. But one of the biggest complaints these uh, suppliers had is they went through an RFP process to get approval, to get on the list. This is for power transmissions, Right. And in the United States, 
39% of all purchases were still made off contract or 35%. In Canada, that number was 79%. And so what they said is it all comes down to price. We got job because we went through the, through the process of having to jump through hoops to get approved, and the buyers ultimately still went where the best price was. So the question comes into it is, is there this blind following of RFPs? And I want to throw this in before you answer the question, because I, I did some homework, partly because the head of the, 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 the opposition party, because there's an election coming up in Manitoba, said that these, these single-source contracts are at epidemic levels, because 5% or $463 million of hydro spend have been awarded on a, a, a single-source basis. So I, I, I did some research, and, and I didn't have anything in Canada, but I went to the 2015 Annual Review of Government Contracting from the National Contract Management Association, NCMA, and Bloomberg Government. This is for the U.S. And, you know, keep in mind the 5%, they called epidemic here. But then, but then, in terms of going forward, they found that it's still accounting 29% of the total spent in 2014, the last year they had it, was in single source contracts. Is the question why there's such a significant percentage of the spend going through single source contracts? Hi, sir. I think I had some interference. Did you lose me for a while there? I did lose you for a minute, John. I got you all the way through the statistics, and then we lost you. Okay. So here's the deal. Here's the deal in all of this. And I had some interference. You know what? That's the wonder of wireless, right? What it said is, is in Manitoba, 5% is considered epidemic. Yet 29% of all purchases, based upon the NCMA and Bloomberg government report, 29% of, of the total spend was through a single-source contract. So my problem is, is how can you call an epidemic at 5%? Secondly, if 29% of spend is through single source in the U.S., does that mean that U.S. is doing it wrong? I mean, I think it depends on why such a significant percentage of the spend is being awarded single source. And it could just as much be because the government side only wants to have to work with one supplier as because not all that many suppliers are necessarily eager to work with the government and perhaps there's not a lot of suppliers willing to bid. I think without knowing what's driving that large percentage of, of single source spend, it's hard to say why it's happening or if it's good or bad. Now, here's the interesting thing. The, the, the 29% was a drop from previous years, yet the number of challenges of contracts actually increased in the very year that the single source practice dropped. See, so, 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 so my issue with this is, are we, and here's the real question about today is, are we blindly believing that if everything is put out to tender and bid on an RFP, that we're getting the best price, the best deal, the best qualified vendors? I mean, is that the blanket statement that we're on? I would say yes. I would say yes. We are blindly believing. And the fact of the matter is, an RFP process is really nothing more than a machine. It takes a series of inputs, puts it through a process, and it kicks something out on the other side. And so the old adage, garbage in, garbage out, applies. If you're not putting in 
the or making the right information available to suppliers, sharing the right information about what needs to be accomplished, forcing the right number of suppliers and the right actual supplier companies to participate, and then walking through the process and analyzing the results in a, a strategic way. It doesn't really matter if you brand an RFP or not. It doesn't guarantee a good result. So in other words, you're kind of agreeing with me. I think I am. And as a matter of fact, in in thinking about this today, I think RFPs, anything that can be straightforward negotiated through an RFP, I think that is the whole next series of spend that's going to be considered tactical and either outsourced or automated. I think what we as procurement professionals, whether in the private sector or in the public, need to learn how to do is to take the spend or the contract that is not necessarily appropriate to put through an RFP and find a better way to manage it. So we can't continue to say, oh, this award is mostly not going to be made based on price, or, oh, there's only one supplier we're going to negotiate with here, and say, oh, well, then if it doesn't go through our standard tried and true process, we're just going to throw caution to the wind and, and sign anything. We still have to put it through some kind of rigor, make sure that a decent agreement is in place, and be prepared to justify the strategy that we applied. See, now, you're speaking along the same lines that I'm kind of thinking. I think the only things that should go out to RFP are, quite frankly, commodity items that are readily available where competitive bidding can be actually quantified and confined uh, where there's a consistency of, 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 of service measurement across the board. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? You, you can I go do. out there and bid on pens and pencils, and then it comes down to price. Do they deliver on time? Are their pens better than their pens? I mean, there's a certain element. When you get into engineering, when you get into more complex contracting relationships, I think you have to start giving more power to the procurement professionals themselves. I think you have to start looking at it now not as a buying function. You have to look at it as a relationship-building function to choose the right provider based upon a whole different set of criteria of which you make your decision. I'm not going to go out there and choose a heart surgeon through an RFP process. I'm going to go out there and choose a heart surgeon after meeting with three or four of them and deciding which one I feel the most comfortable with and where I'm likely to get the, the, the best outcome. And that's the problem, is that there, I think these RFPs and these over-reliance on RFPs are more a reflection of the lack of confidence in procurement professionals and the ability of professionals to make the right decision. That's what I think. And I will agree with you in part because I think in some ways we've almost found ourselves crate trained by the strategic sourcing or the RFP process. We've learned to feel comfortable working inside of a rigid process or a rigid framework because it gives structure to what we're doing and it clearly outlines the path. What we need to learn how to do is to apply the philosophy that originally caused the RFP process and the strategic sourcing process to be designed and apply that in a far more fluid, less structured kind of environment where we're not just moving boxes down the row. We actually have to deal with unpredictability and solutions that can't be compared apples to apples. We do need to learn to function in those sorts of circumstances. 
you see, and that's the key. And that's where I think the industry has fallen down. That's where education programs, in the past at least, have fallen down, is that we've, we've limited ourselves to this security. I remember a senior bureaucrat from Treasury talking about the Way Forward Initiative when, and I've talked about these stories many times, you know, uh, but, 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 you know, in talking with this individual, uh, I, I said, look, I've looked at the numbers. There's no way you're going to achieve those levels of savings. And the response from the bureaucrat was, you're probably right. You may be right. But we dotted the I's and crossed the T's and went through the proper RFP process, so we're covered. And I, that, is the, 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 I, that is what makes me think procurement people of the past are wimps or didn't stamp up to the plate to take ownership of what their true capabilities were, what this next generation coming up to the plate, who is not intimidated by technology, who – who, who, who isn't afraid of losing their jobs and in two years going someplace else because we're living in a, in a whole different world where performance and outcome and output is the, is the priority has it here as, as, as opposed to this blind adherence to if we follow process, we've done our job, regardless of whether or not it, it works. Do you know what I'm saying? I do like, know what you're saying. There needs to be adaptability. Well, we need courageous procurement specifically understand every element of, of what service or, 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 or products you are, uh, are, 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 are procuring, but that's where we sit together as a team. And my job should be is to facilitate bringing this information together and then making a recommendation based upon who I believe is the best candidate, who I'm going to stand for. I mean, you're not going to send it out to the lowest bidder for crying out loud. And I know they have all these formulas and criterias where it's supposed to go beyond price. But at the end of the day, whenever one of these single source deals comes up, and again, a sole source is different because you have nobody else in town to deal with. But a single source deal comes up, everyone cries, we didn't get the best deal where the taxpayers are getting jobs, we're going to pay through the nose. And that is, I think, that, that's, I think, where the biggest mistake comes in because they're relying on a process versus expertise and homework and research to make a selection of the right supplier, not, not actually choosing the right supplier or source for, for, for the goods or services. That's what I think. What do you think? You get the last word. I'll take the last word. I would say that's certainly a mistake, but it is a bigger mistake not to think that you can educate the public about why you went down the road that you did. You can't just always throw up a wall and say, nope, competitive reasons, we can't talk about it. You need to be able to at least explain the logic behind the decision, even if you can't expose the details. I think that's fair. I think you've got to be able to justify it. And there's got to be a parameter to say, this is why we did it. And this is how it, but you know what, I think it's everybody. In, in the hydro thing, I think it's that. I, I think that they could explain it a little bit more so that they could at least, if not assuage completely the, 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 the fears, that they could at least provide some more substantive information as to why they made that decision. I think it would make a lot more sense if the press covering it didn't just grab onto an $85 million headline, which is not likely to be spent, and only so far 3 to $5 million has been spent, without giving all the facts behind it, because that just fans the flame. And I think these political guys, you know, and, 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 and you, know, I, I, you know, politics is like, 
well, it's nonsense usually, are capitalizing on it, saying, you know, because I, I actually read the legislative minutes of the debate uh, where they raised the issue of that, but everyone talked, but nobody actually su supplied any numbers. Like, like I'll use that one more example, and I only gave you the last word, but you've got another last word, is that they said 5% is an epidemic. Yet they didn't substantiate it with in what context is it an epidemic? How does it compare to what's going on elsewhere in other countries? You know, 29% of total spend here uh, or in the U.S. is is the average or or what was last year in terms of single source con contracts, the total dollar value awarded. Uh, you know, so in that context, how can you call 5% an epidemic? I think there's a lot of irresponsibility and everybody's just trying to capitalize on something that they can then meet and align with their own agenda. And I think that's the biggest problem. I'll agree. And the only other thing that, that I will add to it is that I still think without knowing about the rationale behind each scenario where it happens, I don't think we can assume that a sole source contract is the wrong thing to do any more than we can assume that having it go through an RFP process ends up automatically being the right thing to do. I love it. So there we go. So what we're saying is, is that we have to become more scrutinizing, not only in terms of demanding information to get a better understanding of why something happened, but not jumping to conclusions just because it's convenient or easy without digging down and learning more about things. That's really what you're saying. Or am that I just is putting words in? See, you know, you, you shed like Kelly, you solved the problem already. <laughs> and I'm not even Canadian. And you're A. Hey, you got to say A. Hey. That's right. But I mean, I'm sure you have these discussions south of the border. We do. No, we absolutely do. And I think even going back to what we sort of initially discussed online about the deal is that there is still this lingering assumption that if government, if public procurement did something, Clearly, it's the wrong thing. Clearly, they missed something obvious in front of them. We're also fighting that perception in trying to figure out if the right thing or the optimal decision was made here. Boy, sometimes you just long for the days of the 50s and the 60s when you, you, you just took everyone's word for granted. There was a degree of innocence back then, wasn't there? I'll have to take your word for that one, John. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Hey, you know what the you're old welcome. saying is? Is as much as yeah, you're, yeah. There you go. Uh, one of the old sayings is, "Much is expected of he or she who knows a great deal." In which case, I prefer to be ignorant. <laughs> I think that that <laughs> sums it up there. Now, before we 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 sign off, what, what do you think we're going to talk about the next time? What hot topics are there the next time? Ah, good question. Good question. So what we should just say to the listeners is just stay tuned because it'll always yeah, be Yeah, stay tuned. It'll be a surprise, whatever it is, to us included. That's right. We don't even have a clue knowing what we're going to talk about until we actually turn on the radio there and we turn on the switchboard. <laughs> Kelly, as always, thank you. I think that we have to talk about this and discuss this. Again, single-source contracts, just to be clear, because it bugs me when people use them interchangeably. Single-source contracts. And, and, and this is 101, uh, are, are those contracts where you have a pool of suppliers uh, that you can use, but you only choose one. Sole source contracts are where there isn't a pool of suppliers and you have no choice but to deal with one. And those are, those are the different scenarios. However, until we come at you over these the airwaves again, and Kelly, thank you for your time as always today. Thank you, John. Um, we we uh, look forward to the next time we can share and discuss timely topics from the world of computer, uh, 
procurement. How do you like that? I can talk. Procurement. Until then, I remain your host as always, and, and for Kelly Barter, uh, John Hansen. Have a great day. <laughs> You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.